everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast. I'll start there because the ticker wasn't coming when I was about to start. But we're here, we're back and talk all things Manchester City. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by the Manchester Union News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is Mr Joe Bray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad. Cracking start there. Oh no, I was probably like ready to go and then just got a frog caught in my throat. What can you do? We're a bit rusty. It's been a long old international uh, break. Um, I think it's uh, probably about a week and a half since we we last spoke. But, you know, the football's quickly returning. And despite it being quite the long international break, Joe, there has been some interesting stuff over the over the break, some concerning City. Uh, but before that, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about England because, of course, it was, the, it was the last international break before the World Cup coming up in oh, yeah, just a few, just a few uh, weeks' time now, of course, in November. And England had their final two matches, um, both competitive games, not not the kind of uh, usual um, smashing of Jamaica or Trinidad and Tobago or something like that. The usual teams we get, um, the kind of the, um, what's it like, like the longest yard sort of run out matches that you just, um, the, the confidence boosting friendlies before the tournament. It was anything but confidence boosting. The first game, England lost 1-0 to Italy and then drew 3-3 with Germany, which was quite quite the match. England unlucky not to get the win in the end after launching a mint comeback from 2-0 down and then just conceding just after they'd scored in the last minute, which was a shame. But that that Germany game was certainly a bit of a a bit more um opti- optimism inspiring after that kind of dire Italy match, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, I I think England really, really needed that second half against Germany because there's been a lot of noise. I don't think it's all the criticism has necessarily been justified against Southgate. I'm not sure what more he, he can do, uh, given the schedule. But uh, if he had gone into the World Cup with, you know, no goals from open play in what is it? Six, it would have been six games. I think that would have sort of created a lot of negativity going into the World Cup. But I think it underlined for me England are such a confidence team, and they're probably nowadays a tournament team, which is fine when you get to the tournaments. But when you're playing these build-up games. You might have to put up with some sort of unentertaining games, shall we say? Because I, I don't know, I, they weren't the, the most exciting games to watch until that second half against Germany. But you can see what what they're trying to do. I don't think they were necessarily bad performances. Uh, it's, it's all stemmed from those four games in June, hasn't it? But I don't see how you can put a lot of sort of. You, you can't really judge those games because all the players had come off such a such a long season and they hadn't really had a summer before that so of course they're not going to get themselves up for that for, for those games but then you get all the noise you get all the the fans booing at various games and and obviously England have got relegated from from the Nations League which isn't great but as you alluded to surely they're going to learn more from these games against Germany and Italy and even Hungary who have proved themselves to be a very good side than those pointless friendlies if, if we were going to win every game six six nil or whatever, what what are you learning now going into the World Cup? Southgate knows where his weakness, weaknesses are, and he probably knows who is who he can rely on and who he can't. Yeah, definitely. I, I must say, I I find the criticism quite baffling. Like I understand maybe being a bit bored by it and whatnot. The the games aren't fun, but the the Nations League hasn't been fun for teams of England's level since I want to say the first the first run around of it when there was that great game against Spain I want to say we beat them like 3-1 was it um, over in Spain 
that was the last time when, when it was new it was good for um, you know kind of the bigger teams but I don't think the Nations League's really for the bigger teams it's for the nations at the other end of the rankings who need to play each other more in competitive games to get better I think if you look at the Faroe Islands um, they beat uh, um, if you were, uh, not Turkey they beat which is is crazy I think Turkey has a population of 80 million Faroe Islands has a population of 50,000 so it's clearly working on that scale where it's getting, it's letting the lesser nations improve and that's why it should be celebrated. And it's still better than what we used to have with needless friendlies. We are playing team, you know, it might not be quite, it's, I'd, I'd put it to the same sort of competitiveness as like the Community Shield, where it's technically is competitive, but it's not really. It's competitive if you win and it's not if you lose, yeah. isn't it really? Um, but it, it's got a bit more to it than just your normal friendlies. And you are playing, as I said, teams that, are the same level and if you lose that then right it's not it's not the best look but it's still as you say you learn more from your defeats than you do for your wins or your draws in that case i do think it's much more useful to have these games that might be a bit more challenging and you might not get the great results than to have just you know just to smash five past you know san marino or whatever it's much more um useful and as you say you mentioned those june games are absolutely spot on those those matches i can't believe anyone's i completely forgot that happened to be honest with you. i can't believe anyone's okay. paying any sort of um credence to those whatsoever because it'd come after a basically a two season run in one go like an unparalleled amount of football that those players had to do you don't rarely see players actually coming out against football but wasn't it was it de bruyne in those fixtures mm-hmm. i believe who was just like what are we doing and like hanging on by a thread here, let me just go on holiday. And like none of the players were bothered. None of the fans were bothered. I, I don't think, I think everyone had just been a bit worn out at that point. And who who, who cares that they lost? Every player was tired. It was unexpected. And I think if you look across every kind of big nation in the Nations League, none of them are in great runs of form. Hungary, who's obviously in the group with uh, Germany to lit, have resurgent and have not just beaten England. I know they, they smashed England, but they've got great results against Germany and Italy as well. If you look at um, Spain, I think, I think they actually might be one of the better ones. But France lost to Denmark. You know, um, Germany haven't been the best. None of the big countries, apart from maybe Belgium, whose group was a bit easier, have been in great runs of form. Everyone's had losses. And I don't think there's quite as much crisis ease, I suppose, um, crisis eye um, amongst those nations. So it just really does baffle me, uh, the amount of complaints. Maybe there is an argument that, it's growing tired. He hasn't kind of kicked off, kicked on as much as would wanted. Maybe there is, I'm not saying there isn't potential scope for maybe a bit more of a kind of progressive manager to come in. But I think what you did there, you know, you'd absolutely nailed it on the head. Southgate is a really good tournament manager. He might not, he's not the best tactician. I'm not even, not even going to try and argue that. I think his substitutions and the timing of them have proven costly. We should have won the Euro 2020 final, I think the changes should have come a lot sooner in that when it was clear Italy were getting the upper hand. He should have brought Saka on a much earlier to give England a bit more of an outlet. He only did it when they equalised and it was only going one way at that point. But, you know, it was only a penalty shootout away from him being immortalised. He's done more than any England manager has <laughs> since 1966 um, with a semi-final and a final. And it's because you don't get, especially now, you don't get a lot of time. You can say, oh, why don't we get a Graham Potter or... Brendan Rodgers or someone like that caliber who's going to come in and play a really nice progressive football but not time to implement you know do you know how long it takes Guardiola to (laughs) do what he does at City he needs weeks of nine months out of the year every year to drill it into his players to get such complex ideas through 
to know to drill it into the players where they need to be and where when and where. It's England international football coach doesn't have the time for that. It's much more important to be able to kind of develop a really good atmosphere in a in the camp, which I think Southgate's done amazingly. Um, improve the relations with the media, which he did obviously in 2018, and um, hopefully that maintains and the criticism doesn't get too much. And um, so I say foster that and just get a basic but a really basic structure that everyone knows what they're doing and make yourself solid. And the solid teams kind of you tend to win tournaments. It's not the most exciting teams. France might have had the best players when they won the World Cup, but they still did it playing quite boring 4-4-2 with big Olivier Giroud up front. And they, they lost the first match in that tournament before Giroud um came in into the fold. I think we I think uh, one of the excited strikers like lost their place because it was because you need that kind of basicness sometimes. Spain are the only country in the last few years when football's kind of really come on and changed to what it was in the like the 80s and 90s. We did it playing really amazing football, I think. it's. It, it, I don't know what kind of England fans want because um, it might be boring now, but I'd take a boring eight games in England to lift the World Cup um, in December. I'll tell you that for free. I think we're on exactly the same page. I, I understand all the criticism. I understand... The questions of why he's playing Harry Maguire and and not playing sort of the the fringe players, but he's not got any time, like you say, to to do anything to to introduce new ideas. I think the time to experiment was in those four games in June. He did a little bit, but the time to introduce players like Tamori or um, you know change his right back system. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'll play Tammy Abraham for example or Ivan Tony. It wasn't in these two games in. In September, so he's got to stick with the players he knows. I, I understand why he's playing Harry Maguire because he's he's been a good good servant to him, and he's another one very very much a confidence player. And if if they go forward in the World Cup and he he can be at the sort of top of his confidence, which will be absolutely shot at the moment, then he could still be a useful player at, at the World Cup. Um, I think after this World Cup will be the time to sort of regenerate the team. But given the fact that it's a mid-season tournament, there's no sort of games to warm up before that. The next time England play is against Iran in that first first group game. I, I, I don't see the benefit of changing things too much. And that means, you, you'll be proud of me, I'm going to link it back to City. We can uh, maybe sort of look forward and, and see which City players will be in that starting eleven and how they'll play. So I would expect, I think Phil Foden's probably done enough to, to be there. I think he's a better option from the start. Um, I think Mason Mount showed the other day that he's probably better off the bench. I'm, I'm never too convinced with him from the start, but he can be a good uh, option off the bench. Kyle Walker seems to be uh, first choice, whether that's on the right or on the right of a back three. He, he said, didn't he, that Trippi is ahead of Alexander-Arnold. So that would imply that Walker is ahead of both of them, so he's just got to compete with Reese James, which I think is probably at the moment quite an even, even competition. And if he can fit both of them in, do that back three. Uh, that's another thing. Everyone wants him to play four four two, but these players know that foot three at the back system. So it's probably best just to keep keep that going. And if you have got a player like Maguire who's out of form, surround him with a couple of other defenders. Don't leave him isolated. So I understand it might not be great to watch, but I understand why he's doing all this. And then he can do what he did against Germany and bring on players off the bench to try and make an impact. I think Saka is probably going to be a better option 
off the bench. He always seems to make more of an impact in the bigger games when he's running at tired defenders. I think Jack Grealish really wasted an opportunity. Uh, he came on against Italy, needed a goal, looked to do really well and get on the ball, forced Italy into a lot of fouls and then got one of the most stupid bookings he will ever pick up in his career where it hit his hand, obvious handball, and he just shouted at, at the referee. He was never going to change his mind. It was the most obvious free kick ever. Didn't mean it, but it was an, it was a free kick and worked his way into the into the referee's notebook and then was suspended for the Germany game. Now, that has deprived Grealish of a chance to show probably from... I think he would have started against Germany. He didn't get a chance to to show why he deserves to be in that, that starting lineup, And I don't think for England he's shown that yet. And I think he will continue to be that sort of impact sub. But that could really help England. If they can be relatively solid for 60, 70 minutes and then bring on players like Grealish and Saka... And uh, maybe even players like Marcus Rashford, if he's if he's in the squad in in November, that could be the way that England do all right in the tournament by trying to play well for half an hour rather than the ninety minutes. Because as we've said, it, the best team probably isn't going to win this World Cup. It's probably going to be the team that plays to the strengths and just gets through each game. And I think that could be an avenue for England. I don't I don't think they will win the World Cup, but if they're going to do it, I think it might be just do simple tactics like that and play into the strengths rather than trying to change anything or do do anything out of the comfort zone, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I do want to say that I don't think Southgate is a kind of above reproach or anything just for what he's mm-hmm. done. I absolutely. do think I do think his comments regarding Trippier and Alexander-Arnold were a bit weird to say that, to say that Trippier is a, like, just his all-round game is better than Trent. It's, it's not only, like, clearly wrong... I think Trippier is a brilliant player, but he's obviously not as good as Trent. But it's just such a weird thing to do that isn't going to, as I was saying there, to build that um, positive atmosphere in the camp. There, there's a good chance Alexander Arnold won't be in the camp when it comes to um, November. But to say something like that about a player, he, he could easily have just framed it much better. Of he suits the system better. We need his set piece delivery. He's a bit more solid. Like you can easily frame that comment, basically saying the same thing, but without kind of throwing Alexander Arnold under the bus. And I do think. You say there, like maybe Tomori and you know Tony. I, I, obviously, Kane's a striker, so I'm not really too fussed about Tony or Abraham not getting much of a chance. That's just by the by. But I do, I do think Tomori not to be involved in that Italy match. You know, mm-hmm. he's just gone off and the Germany or the Germany match. Sorry, so he's just come off winning the Scudetto with AC Milan and playing a crucial role in it. And I, can, I say I can agree with you why Maguire starts at first, and he's never let England down. Um, so there's no. Telling like it's more important sometimes to build an England team and of core players rather than just picking everyone who's on form. It's it's not quite as simple as that. It's not just ultimate team where you can pick, you know, your informed players and they come, you know, as long as they've got hundred chemistry that everything's all right. It's not quite as simple as that in real life. The players have developed relationships and partnerships and know what they're doing. There's a reason Maguire gets picked. He's never let England down. He's brilliant in Euro 2020, but it does seem quite obvious now after that that um, fairly gave away in the journey game and his, his, his confidence, is, which is so low at United, he, there's a good chance he doesn't play again before the World Cup because no. it doesn't like he's get or at least not in the Premier League anyway. Um, I, I must say, I do think maybe sort of a bit of experimentation could have been used there because he, he's not in, um, you know, his, his performance levels have been low for the last year and it's no impact in his England performances for the first time. So there could have been some experimentation there. But I say, I do think um, 
it's quite it's come, it's becoming clear of what his team will be. But you've got to we've got to remember that there'll, there'll be different teams for different scenarios. The, the Iran game, um, England's first England's first match is set to be absolutely terrible because Carlos Queiroz is their manager. He will <laughs> put every player behind the halfway line and just try and you know make England break them down. It's that's going to be some grueling watch. At that game, you expect Southgate to play four three three. And that a bit more room for maybe even Grealish comes in because Foden's in midfield. Yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, Saka. I, I, I think Saka could been quite well for England. Maybe even been playing better for England than Foden has over the last year. So it wouldn't actually surprise me if Saka gets a few more starts. Like it was, it was, it, England's upturning performances came in the Euros when Saka took Foden's place, didn't they? Like so that wouldn't surprise me either. But there's a lot more scope for a bit more attacking players in 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 those games, the USA game. Um, the Iran game and maybe not so Wales um, but then you go for the bigger matches you go um, against the kind of bigger teams you go back to that back three where as you say I think I expect what I expect Walker to be on the right of that centre-back duo and hopefully with Stones depending on his fitness as we'll come on to with um, Trippi at the right and I think Shaw keeps his place because uh, as with Maguire um, Shaw's not letting England, uh, England down he's played and he, his good form for England actually continued despite I'm um, not playing for United. So, and then they say, I think the front, you know, Kane and Sterling spots are guaranteed. So is Rice. Looks like Jude Bellingham's pretty much earned his spot now and um, about time, sadly, probably due to uh, Calvin Phillips's injuries, we'll also touch on. Um, but I don't think there's so much need for so much negativity. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to be so naive as England will win the World Cup, but I remember as soon as when Saka missed that penalty against Italy and it was game over, my, my first reaction was, we will win the World Cup after this. And maybe I'm, you know, pie in the sky, but I feel like that adversity kind of breeds that energy, that desire to go win it. Now, we're not as, you know, the optimism, the um, confidence has dipped since that summer, understandably, but I don't know. I've, I've got a good feeling. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll backfire completely when we don't get out of the group. That's how everyone else seems to be thinking. But I've got to say, I, 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 I do remain optimistic and, you know, that City core, are going to play a big part, and of course Sterling, who recently left, that they are going to play a, a big part if, if if England do get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't really disagree with much you say. I, I also accept that Southgate hasn't probably covered himself in a lot of glory in the last few games. I just don't think that all of the criticism is warranted. It's like England fans want to criticise England, and it's like just you've seen what they've done in the last few years. Get behind them. They're, they're a team and a sort of a group that do better when the country is behind them. I think they've earned a bit of credit to have a few a few bad games. They've shown that they're better in tournaments than before. Um, and yeah, just, and it's like the default is to, to relish having a go at, at England and Southgate and the tactics when actually take a step back and you can see that there are some positives. And as soon as they got that goal against Germany, Everything changed. The fans changed. The mood of the players changed. It, it's so confidence based that I think that second half will do them wonders because they've shown that they can compete against the better teams. They can score goals. They've probably got the media off the back a little bit. And then, as you say, that Iran game might be an opportunity just to ease in. It's probably as close to a pre World Cup friendly as you can get, um, which I will, I'm sure, will come back to bite me by saying that. But no, it, it, the fixtures should allow them to ease into the tournament as they have done at Euro 2020 and, and probably the World Cup before that. So I, I don't believe in all the doom and gloom that, that we've been seeing, but 
it, it's probably the most scrutiny Southgate will be under. I think there's the most pressure he's got going into a tournament, given what's what's happened in the run-up to the tournament and in the last two two tournaments before that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, the World Cup a few weeks away now. We'll certainly um, be talking a lot more about it as as it kind of creeps ever closer. Uh, I, I don't. I think the squad for the World Cup is announced fairly soon. Um, and you know, it must Provision be said, one I, is mm. before. I think it's a week before is is the final, the final squad, and then the provisional one is a couple of weeks before mm-hmm. that. Do we do we have anything on squad size? So I presume it's five subs. Um, it's twenty six max, and Southgate's already said he doesn't want that, but he will pick that many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, there's five subs. Um, really, I know it's not. It's in winter, but it's going to be really hot over there in Qatar. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of scope for a lot of players to get minutes because you, you, I think a key the team that wins is going to be the team that manages the conditions the best, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and England have a, a lot of depth to do that with any luck. You know, we'll talk to about the squad when it arrives, but. There is concern, Joe, of two city players not making it. You know, the bad news coming out of the international break was that um, John Stones picked up a hamstring injury in the first half of that Germany game. Um, an innocuous play on the ball, and then his hamstring seemed to go. Um, I don't know how, how serious we've got that at the minute. Hopefully, not too bad. But um, Southgate did not sign up to Mystic about Calvin Phillips's chances at all after his uh, sort of going on going under the knife for soldier surgery. No, well, he was, he was saying about Phillips that even if he does return it's probably going to be just before the World Cup. And he basically said he's not going to be fit. Um, and I think the fact that Jude Bellingham has done well in these two games probably means that Phillips won't be starting at the World Cup. Um, he did say, you know, if if Phillips wants to and, and works hard and has that drive, then he might be in contention. He didn't rule him out completely. But it sounds like any role that he would have would be sort of peripheral and, and not not the starting role that he had at at Euro, Euro 2020, which is a shame because he probably, his start at City couldn't have really got off off worse, really. Um, but he, he might look at this. I know he will obviously want to get to the World Cup, but if it's looking like he's not, it probably is in everyone's best interest that he doesn't rush. He uses that time. It, it'll be gutting for him to miss out, but that could be an extra six weeks where he's not got to play and he can use that time basically as a, as a summer summer holiday to to recover from that surgery and, and return and be a real asset for City in the second half of the season. Um, as for Stones, it did look really worrying as soon as he put his hand to his hamstring and went off. He didn't look happy at all. I'm not sure if, if he was crying, but he, he looked really upset that he'd, he he basically knew what had happened. Southgate said afterwards that he'd felt his hamstring. This is, we're recording this on Thursday and he, he wasn't in City training today. Um, even if it's a if it's a better than feared injury, he's probably another one facing a race to be fit for the World Cup. They say hamstrings are normally about six weeks, aren't they? And the yeah, it's eight weeks until until the first game. It's really going to be touch and go, and it'd be a shame for him and a shame for for England because he he will he's England's best defender at the moment. Uh, Maguire's fallen down. There's a another another gap in that back three, but Stones would have been probably the first name on the team sheet in that defence. Um, so I don't, it'll be interesting to see what Pep says tomorrow, see see what the assessment is. Um, but now I think that's a big blow for, for club and country, but 
that's why they bought Akanji and, and Pep said himself he can't rely on on Stones or Ake to play every week and, and keep themselves fit. He said there's going to be injuries, there's going to be a lot of games, so that's why they moved late for Akanji. And for 15 million, he's already looking like one of the the best buys City will make in a long time. Uh, and he scored on international break as well, so uh, it's a blow for City, but they've done well to get Akanji in. Um, and he is probably going to be the one to to slot straight back in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we'll, t- we'll talk about um, the, the upcoming return to uh, Premier League action soon. And you know, I think me and we've kind of discussed on this podcast already that Kanji's kind of come in, you know, unexpected, out of nowhere. So I think what fitted in so well, you know, when, when he first signed, he was probably thought of as fifth choice, but his performances already have almost in, um, until the port's back to full fitness. And even then, he might struggle to get back in. Until Akanji puts a foot wrong, I don't see how he loses this spot because he's come in and done so well. But he he scored down international duty. Um, you know, England England were the only team playing, of course. That he had loads of players out all over the shop. Um, who else um, had a had a good international winter break? Um, Nathan Ake played a couple of games, which is always useful. Um, and he he's always seemed to be on the fringes of the Dutch squad as well. So it's it's good that he started a couple of games. Um, he was back in training today. Um, I thought Julian Alvarez, he scored an, an eye-catching goal. It was a lovely, I think it was 26 passes, similar to what City would create. I mean, it was only against Jamaica, who Argentina were playing, but Alvarez was sort of in the right place to finish that move and uh, that will be a, a good confidence boost for him. Uh, De Bruyne scored a lovely goal against Wales. I did enjoy him saying that he hates playing Wales and because they always do and it's just boring. Um I like his honesty when he goes on on international duty for De Bruyne. Um, Trying to think of anyone else. I I think everyone else has returned fit apart from Stones, which is obviously a bonus. There was players like Stones and Grealish had suspensions, Akanji too. So Guardiola will be quite happy that they didn't play two games in in the week. Uh, They only played one. Um, But yeah, Guardiola always says that his priority from an international break is that everyone returns fully fit and without injuries. And he said he can't rely on national teams to do him a favour, so he won't do national teams a favour. Um, and if Stones is the only injury, then it's a shame, but it's probably, it, it'll be happier than he, he might he might have been, uh, just because the majority of his, his squad are back fit and have come through and, and no real uh, negatives to come from it, apart from that Stones injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Gundogan obviously got on the score sheet as well against course, England. Yeah. A, a lovely penalty. He played really well in that match. Continuous fine start to the season. And of course, um, Walker hadn't played for City after a few weeks due to an injury, um, but was still picked for the England squad and did play a few um, a fair amount of minutes. And thankfully, no no kind of um, relapse of injury there. And he, if anything, maybe the international break has done City a favour for once and that's Walker has got a bit of minutes under his belt mm-hmm. and seems to have come back unscathed in perfect timing because obviously Stones had been playing right back in his absence and it'd be good for Walker to be back for Sunday when, of course, the, the Premier League is finally back and what a game for City to get back into the swing of things. None other than the Manchester derby at Old Trafford. This is it's set to be a really intriguing game, Joe. Probably one of the most interesting Manchester derbies we've had for some time because over the last few years United have just kind of been a basket case and City especially last season just it was almost pitiable the, the way that City just um, easily dispatched them especially when they could have gone on to win by a considerable am- a margins each time but kind of Guardiola kind of almost called the, the war dogs <laughs> off so to speak he didn't it, almost if he didn't want to go for the kill in order to kill them 
I don't know, to get a, a, a bad manager sacked, maybe. He didn't want him to do it that well. He just, I don't know what it was, maybe just out of begrudging respect or whatever. He didn't kind of go in for the kill. He clearly called his players off the attack. But it could have been so much more. But this 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 time, it's, it's really interesting. United, obviously, a dreadful start to the season. But since then, have won all four Premier League games. Ten Hag seems to have near enough settled on his strongest side, which has a really strong part, centre-back partnership of Martinez and Varane. Um, Anthony's um, proving to be, um, you know, he's taken to the Premier League really well and looking like a, a tricky customer. Rashford is finding his goal-scoring form again. And then in the middle, of course, Christian Eriksen has just been sensational since his um, arrival at Old Trafford. And Fernandez has found his form again. So United really are kind of, maybe it'll be another kind of false dawn, but for now, United really are kind of taking big steps forward that they haven't done in years. And maybe maybe an upset could be on the cards for the first time in quite some time. They have beaten, of course, Liverpool and the undefeated Arsenal at the time already. So it's certainly, a, certainly an interesting one. Yeah, United seem to be back to a team that raises the game in, in the sort of the bigger games and, and the derbies and, and the rivalries, which they've been pretty poor and pretty anonymous in the last few games. And it, it was when City beat them 2-0 last season and it was the most one-sided 2-0 you'll ever see. And it's a bit like you said, it could have been more, but City was so, so dominant. Um, but no, it was that Liverpool game where, where United won. And yes, Liverpool have had their problems this season, but you could see players like Lissandro Martinez fighting for every single ball. And they've missed that in, in recent games against City. I think what we can guarantee on Sunday is that it will be a, a proper blood and thunder derby. Um, United will probably have three quarters of a different defence, maybe even a full, uh, completely new back line that, we've, uh, that wasn't playing last season. Um, like you say, Casemiro and, and Christian Eriksen are significant upgrades on, on the midfield. Ten Hag seems to be getting more of a tune out of Rashford and, and Sancho. So it will be a different test for City. But City also, uh, you know, they've got a lot of different players. They've got Erling Haaland, who will uh, give... Varane and uh, Martinez a hell of a game. Um, they've got it's just the the way City are playing. I, I I still can't look past them. They might have to work a bit harder than they have against United, but maybe the fact that United have been uh, quite good against Liverpool and Arsenal is the wake up call that City will need just to say right, okay, we've got a game in our hands here. Proper rivalry, bragging rights at stake, and uh, I can I can see it being quite an entertaining game. Sometimes we get these quite boring derbies, don't we? But I imagine with players like Haaland and, and the new guys that, that United have got, I think it'll be quite an entertaining watch. I would expect City to win, but I don't think it will be easy. I don't think they'll necessarily keep a clean sheet either. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think you kind of touched on a couple of the key battles there. I think I say Haaland, uh, you know, we can't, we can't wax on again about him because we'll be here all day. But um, his kind of, his battle that you'll have against Verano Martinez, since since they've kind of come together as a partnership, they've played five games together and only conceded twice and keeping three clean sheets. So they're really kind of forming a good understanding. I should say, Martinez, despite kind of being maligned for his height, is no slouch when it comes to battling for balls. Obviously, mm-hmm. coming against a giant that is Haaland might well be difficult. But with Verano as well, who's such a classy operator and you know, if he can stay fit, United he'll keep United in good stead. It's a really, I should say, a really tenacious, scrappy fighter in Martinez, and then a really good reader of the game. Um, 
just a, a really strong presence as well. Varane, like I think I, I, I want to say it might be the toughest kind of centre back duo Haaland will have come up against so far. Possibly, yeah. I would imagine he will spend most of his time trying to uh, mark Martinez rather than Varane, hmm. just because of the height difference and um, and and the fact that it's just his movement in the box. I, I feel like even someone like Varane will struggle to to contain that. And he, if, we've said it before, if, if United focus all the attentions on Haaland, that'll open up space for for City's other attackers. Um, I was watching the the highlights of the four one win City City's home win last season, and it reminded me that Grealish had probably his best game of the season on that left wing, and he he might not have done much. He played a, a hand in the build up of the the first two City goals, but. The, what he did was he dragged all of United's defensive players out to the left wing. So I think it was Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof and McTominay were all dragged out that way. And it just made space for players like De Bruyne and, and Foden and Bernardo to, to run into. Now, I don't think any of those United players will play on Sunday. It will be different. But I think Grealish has probably earned his, his chance to start, given his performance against Wolves before the international break. Um It'd be harsh on Mahrez because he always seems to play well against United, but maybe putting Foden on the right, it seems to be working with him and De Bruyne on that wing. Um, I think City will be able to create the space. And especially if, like you mentioned Eriksen before, absolutely echo what you say in that he's a fantastic player, but he isn't necessarily the most defensive-minded player. So maybe there's a bit of space there for for City to try and get in behind. Um, I think they will still be confident of winning, but they will also be aware that this United side appear to have a lot of fight about them and uh, a massive point to prove. And it always seems the way that if United win, it's at the Etihad and if, if City win, it's the other way around. So there's there's that pattern to break as well. So City will be looking to improve that home record against United. Um, so I'm, I'm really intrigued how the game's going to go. I think it, it could be, it will definitely be City's biggest test of the season because they've not played one of those big six teams yet, have they? Um, so it'll be a good barometer of where City actually are this season. Yeah, definitely. And you kind of brought the midfield there. And I think that's an interesting kind of point to touch on. We know that City will pretty much almost certainly line up with Rodri, De Bruyne, and then either Gundogan or Bernardo, depending on you know whatever kind of tactical mm-hmm. nuances Guardiola sees. That's pretty clear. Not really going to be too much unpredictable there, you wouldn't have thought. But with United, I wonder if, We've not really seen since since that match um, since the Liverpool win. Tenag's kind of stuck with the same side. He hasn't changed much either, um, regardless of um, the bigger teams. Um, I think the only changes have really been I think of Anthony when he came in for his debut replaced Alanga. I think that's mm-hmm. been the only change they've made. And the, the strange thing is, it's like Matomane has been has been playing in that midfield and been doing a decent job, can keeping Casemiro out of the side so far. But do you see Ten Hag changing up a bit here? To, as you said there, the space that Haaland will create for the likes of De Bruyne and Bernardo, it's going to be a real threat for United. Do you see perhaps Ten Hag, we've seen him to be a bit more practical than when he first came in and maybe abandoning, for now at least, the the the, the, the passing building out from the back style he wanted to implement. So do you see a similar sort of thing potentially happening there with United where maybe he sacrifices Ericsson or moves Fernandes further forward, sacrifices that bit more attacking element, as you say, because Ericsson isn't the most defensive-minded, 
to bring in Casemiro alongside McTominay or something like that, a bit more of a defensive approach from United? Or will they try and go full of confidence and take their game to City? That's been working well for him so far. It's From what I saw against Liverpool and Arsenal, they, they seem to disrupt the opposition and then catch them on the break or and, and then look to get forward. So I'd imagine that's what they'll try and do to City and maybe McTominay will be a good a good player for that. I, I don't really know. It's on paper you'd definitely not play McTominay in in the game, but if he's been doing a good job, he always seems he, he's a big game player, isn't he? He always raises his game in the rivalries and and, and the big the, the big games. And then it's the, the sort of mid table teams, relegation teams that he seems to drop his level. Um so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see McTominay, but I mean you you watch United uh, more than I do. Um, I would Surely they're going to play Casemiro and and Eriksen and Fernandez in, in that midfield just to match the the quality of, of City's midfield. I'm I'm torn, you know, because I think you're right that McTominay he's not the most technical of players, but he he's the sort of like energy player. I like he, he gets himself up for these big matches. He was the one, of course, the last the last match before COVID, who scored from forty yards against City yeah. in that in that game. Like McTominay, kind of he's the sort of I wouldn't quite say distraught you, but maybe maybe a bit of that sort of thing where he's just such an energetic presence and he can really, as you said, I think you've summed it well there, disrupts, he can get into faces and then he can get into the ball. I think that's the, Ericsson is so crucial, just his passing in the middle. He, he's the one who can launch counter-attacks so quickly. You can, you can spot Anthony or Sancho or Dallo or Shaw or Malassia. You can spot them runs out wide and Rashford as well. You can spot them and set them away. One of the goals against Arsenal last time out was launched by his brilliant pass to Rashford. And I think that's the outlet mm-hmm. United will need. The quick transitions, the accurate passing to break City's press and get through. Because we know City aren't the most secure this season. They can be got at. Newcastle were so unfortunate not to win and got at City so much. Villa held them to a draw. Palace went two up. Dortmund um, went ahead. City can be got out of the season more than previous years. They have the firepower to make up for it. But I do think if United are on the cut, so I, I kind of I don't think Casemiro will play. I'm I think he'll stick with what he's got. And as you say there, try and hit City on those quick counters, which you need decisive action for from Ericsson, from Fernandez. I don't know if he can sack. The only thing I could maybe see is if he sacrifices potentially Anthony to move Fernandez further forward to bring Casemiro into the midfield. But I don't know if that's just just going to just disrupt that that rhythm that they've made. So I, I'm more I'm more kind of leaning towards United staying unchanged and them trying to impose their game on City, which would be a new level of confidence that we're not seeing for a couple of years now. Since when Solskjaer kind of had City's number for a little bit, and I, I, that's what I see see happening. Yeah, uh, very possibly. Um, You've reminded me there of Casemiro's last game against City, which was that Champions League semi-final where he somehow didn't get sent off for about mm. three three or four yellow-slash-red card challenges. Um, so maybe that will play into, into Ten Hag's thinking that yeah. he, he stopped City. He did his job and, and stopped them from playing, but he also was very much walking a tightrope and probably in the Premier League would have would have seen red in that game. So um, maybe if he plays City, would feel like they could target him and, and try and get the same reaction that, that they did and hope for some better officiating than, than they got in, in the Bernabeu. 
No, that's a, a great point that didn't I didn't even think of. You know, that was City getting a taste of their own Fernandinho medicine that yeah, night. You know, Fernandinho should have, um, sorry, Casemiro should have been sent off three times over, and you know, Ten Hag's a lot more astute than even Russell. He may well have thought about that. I think, oh, maybe he is the presence you want. That um, the sly mm-hmm. foul in the ounce, and oh, that could be very interesting. Good point there. Kind of finally on the, on the David, like United haven't actually played in the Premier League for nearly a month since September second, and um, they've had two games um, called off. Obviously, everyone had one game. Um, in the wake of uh, Queen Elizabeth II's death. And United was one of the three Premier League matches to um, fall to the wayside um, ahead of a funeral on September 19th. And of course, with the international break, they have had two Europa League games in the meantime. United did play a pretty strong side um, in their final match before the break, a Europa League game against uh, Sheriff, um, FC Sheriff. But it, do you reckon that could play a part at all? United being so so out of Premier League action and the, all the momentum they were building kind of been put a halt to. City have obviously had not played for two weeks either, but they did have, that's a lot less than the um, nearly four that United have had and City did have a really comfortable win last time out against Wolves. Yeah, it could work both ways, couldn't it? It could have given Ten Hag more time to get his point across on the training ground, which you, you would never get in the middle of a season. You'd never get a month to implement your ideas. Or it could mean that the a bit out of touch and they didn't have all of the players go off to international break. I'm thinking Rashford and, and Sancho, for example, they won't have played in the last week or so. So, yeah, maybe City will be looking for a quick start to get at United and, and just test them out and see just how fit they really are. Um, or maybe United will be fully prepared and uh, really benefit from that that break. But it'll definitely... It, it throws just a, a different preparation into the game, doesn't it? It's It's not really something you get unless you're starting the season with a Manchester derby. And uh, what's your score prediction for us? I'm going to go high scoring. I think both teams will be able to to get at each other. But I think with Haaland, City will always have the edge. I'll, I'll say 3-2 to, to City. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm going to go 2-2. I think we'll, you know, I think we'll get a, you know, City haven't been the... They've had a few draws already this year, but yeah. still undefeated. I, I can see, I, I can see, a, I can see a draw. If United can kind of bring the performance level up like they have been doing against Arsenal and Liverpool, uh, I, I can see them getting something. But either way, it really looks um, set to be one of the best and most intriguing Manchester derbies for some time. I'm sure you like us can't wait to watch it. And of course, we'll have it all covered over on the Manchester Evening News. Um, you can get all the City um, build-up and uh, reaction to the match and, of course, all the coverage during the 90 minutes as well over at manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. We'll have um, the latest updates over on Twitter at Man City MEN. And, of course, you get us on Facebook too um, at Manchester Evening News at Dash Manchester City. Uh, well, we'll be back next week to pull apart the derby. We can't wait and see see exactly what happens. Um We'll be here to talk about it, go through it in all the minute detail. And we hope you'll be there to join us. But for now, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you then. Bye.